Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. And so today we're leaning into uh, the third part of our series as we lean into Easter, lead up to Easter, 100 days to Easter, uh, giving generously. And so that's our path. Uh, uh, the, you know, we're leaning into that. And so how can giving be a factor to growing in our faith? That's a legitimate question to ask. Um, we will journey there today. And here's what we, we do know and have proven here at Bethesda because of your generosities that when you have a generous church filled with generous people, you can have a what? Huge impact. Say it again. Huge impact. Uh, let me ask a question. How many of you like to be first? And depending on, there's people raising their hand, right? They want to be first raising your hand, of course. Uh, you, know, you want to be first in line, you first to get something new, first to get out of church. Hopefully that's not the case today. Uh, you know, I admit one of them, I'm the, one of those people who like to be first. I have a very competitive spirit gift sometimes. You know, that's the good side of being competitive. There is a dark side of it too. And listen, I'm a, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, so I'm very competitive. I believe that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the cup every single year. So that, I mean, that's deeply competitive, right? You know, if I'm, if I'm at a nine items or less lineup at the grocery store, this one drives me nuts, okay? I just want to let you know this. I deserve to be first if I have nine items. And the person ahead of me has 15. I'm that type of personality who's going to count your items. Now, now, the pastor in you won't say anything to that person ahead of you, but the Bruce in me wants to. It's like, really? You want, you want to go there today? It's usually in the Costco lineup. You know, uh, when I fly, I want to be um, in first class, although I've, I don't think I've ever been in first class, maybe once in my life, but I want to be in first class. I like being first. You know, a number of years ago, I got on a plane and sat in third class. There is a third class, Okay. It's a few seats from the back, and let me tell you, and it's usually surrounded by smaller people, okay? As people were boarding, a, a gentleman came towards me one time, a couple of number of years ago, and stood over my seat. And you've, ever, you've ever been there, sitting in your seat, you're all settled, right? You put your seatbelt on, everything's ready to go, all, all comfortable, and you see that person walking towards you, and you're like, guaranteed, that person's either going to sit by me or... I'm in their seat. And so they, we, he stood over me and realized that uh, there was a, a double booking and his number was my seat. And so she, she, the, the steward came by and, and, and said, I'm sorry, let, uh, Mr. Noon, would you, would you please come with me? So she brought me to, to uh, halfway up the plane. And I'm like, Jesus, just give me the first, you know, first class, right? She pulled, you know, and she brought me out and placed me in first class because there was one seat empty. Well, it wasn't long before another steward came by <laughs> with someone and told me I was in the wrong seat. And my response to him was, no, I'm not. And, and, and of course, the steward said, oh, well, I apologize, sir. Just let me verify with your, your boarding pass. And my response to her was, well, well, my boarding pass, see, doesn't say it, but I was awarded this first class seat. And through the jigs and the reel, I had to get up from my seat and go back toward into fourth class. <laughs> now, if you're wondering what fourth class is, it's right by the bathroom, okay? That's fourth <laughs> class. Been there. I know what it's about. You're, some of you are like, yeah, I've been there. To, you know, I have, I have horrible uh, experiences there. 
not in the bathroom, but in the, in the, in the seat there. So I just want to clarify that. Did I just say that? Uh, uh, but isn't it true, we enjoy being first. We do. And there's nothing wrong with, the, with that competitiveness in a, in a healthy place, I guess. Um, you know, for, for me, like giving uh, uh, participatory ribbons is when we've lost competitive sports, right? I've, I've been there with my kids when they've come out of the sporting events and they didn't get third place, they didn't get second place, they got first place. And they're like, Dad, isn't it great that I got I placed? I said, no, no, you didn't place. You got a ribbon. That's not first place. That's not second place. That's not even third place. That's fourth class, okay? <laughs> but, you know, the reality is when I'm, when I'm first and the dark side of wanting to be first, the reality is when I'm first, someone has to be second. And that may work for competitive sports in a healthy place, but, for, but the, this principle doesn't carry out well in other areas. It's hard to be, it's hard on our marriage when I insist that I'm first and everyone else is second or third. People who like to be first often do not like to share or submit or give generously. And often there's no room for God. So in, in the third part of our discipleship path and our series on how you grow in your faith, I'm asking you the question, who or what is first in your life? Because the law of, the, the law of first is this, whatever is first in my life, whether it's entertainment, career, or money, will usually drive my life. It will. The Bible is clear that God wants to be first in our life, and we'll unpack that a little bit. Because when God is first, everything else falls into its proper perspective. When I invite God to be first in my marriage, uh, uh, to conduct my marriage in a godly, holy, and submissive way, that's when life starts to gel and my marriage is healthy. When I invite God to be first in my family, in my decision-making, and how I spend and utilize my resources and my money, the Bible says that that's when life will go well for me. Look at what Deuteronomy 30 says. It says, now listen today. I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways, putting God first. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. And if you've been journeying with us over the last couple of weeks, you've heard this before because we journeyed in the grow part of our path of, of Moses and Joshua. And the strategy that God had for their lives wasn't just to get to a target, a promised land. It was important, not only to the, pre the moment, but for us today, but also the strategy wasn't just a destination. The strategy to get there was obeying God and putting God first in their lives. When we love God and make him first, he will bless our lives in every way. Amen? Amen. Now, it doesn't mean that in this life, we will not have problems. It doesn't mean that God is going to make us rich. It simply means that God will take care of us. Now, this is so important because for some of you, life may not be going well in this moment. You don't feel blessed. And maybe finances is a constant source of tension and the number one stressor in your life in this moment. And in this message, in the middle of this series... And the third part of our discipleship path, when it comes to our finance, financial stress, is sometimes it's not just a money thing, it's a trust thing. Can I really trust God with my life? Can I really trust God with 
my finances. God makes a promise all throughout Scripture that if I make him first in my finances, that he will bless our life. And I understand when church talks about money, it could be misunderstood. All the church wants is my money. All right? And I've heard some of the prosperity preaching out there, and to be honest, it's sickening. So I understand some of the stereotypes, but out of 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them address the issue of money. Not just the money, but what money does to us if it's not properly placed. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. So it is important topic to talk about every now and then. So the question I'm asking to you, what does it look like to put God first? It starts with what the Bible calls tithe, which simply means 10% of what you have. God says tithing is one of the truest tests of putting God first, of our love and our loyalty to God. It says you must set aside, Deuteronomy 14, a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all crops. It was an agricultural uh, time, a culture at that time. That was their finances. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to, name to be honored. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Watch this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to what? Put God first in your lives. And we think it's the opposite of that. We think that the church wants my money and, and it's all about money. No, it's a really a spiritual issue, isn't it? It's about surrendering everything to the Lord. So when, this, when, it, when it says this, uh, it, it, when we give our tithe, when we give to God, it, God blesses us. And all I'm asking God is saying is you give me one-tenth to remind you to place me first in your life. 10% of 100%. In fact, if you do this, God says, I will bless you the other 90% that you won't have room for it. And here's why God does this. Money is God's main competition for our hearts. This is why giving generously is a part of our path. Because if our resources, you need to hear this, if our resources aren't properly placed, it will have a stranglehold on our hearts. It's a surrender issue. And Jesus says where your money is, that's where your what? Your heart is. In fact, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. There's a, there's a tension between there. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to what? To money. Wow. So let me ask you, what's first in your life? God is saying when we create the discipline of giving back to God what is his, it creates the habit of always placing God first. And when we do that, God orders her steps. God isn't after your money. God is after your heart. It's never about the amount in our hand. It's about the condition of our hearts. I, I didn't expect you to say amen here. But you can say it, though. Go ahead. Amen. Some of you are saying it in faith. Amen. amen. Now, when I talk about money, it's so counterculture. The culture we live in today tells us that we should keep everything that you have and accumulate stuff and, and just build and build your own empire. But the Bible tells us differently. It says in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithe into the store so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, there's a condition. 
If you obey this, if you build into the life, your life, the discipline of time, if you do this, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Another verse that says, test me. This is the only place in scripture. Go back again. Way ahead of me today. It's wonderful. Back, back the other way. There you go. Try. Test. Don't you test me. <laughs> Try it. Test me. Put me to the test. In Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. If you do, here's the condition. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing. You see, there, there's a God factor associated with tithing that some people don't take into account. The Bible says that when you trust God with your giving, God blesses us back in unexplainable ways. But it comes down to this little word called surrender. A surrendered heart is directly linked to a blessed heart. Do I believe what God is saying about giving and do I believe it enough to surrender to it? So let, let's say we, we have two people that, that love God equally. Let's say one person trusts God with tithing, but the other person doesn't, okay? So the low trust person will say, I have to get from A to B in my life financially, and it is going to take 100% of my money to get there. So I'm not going to tithe. This is the low trust person when it comes to giving God their finances. The high trust person says, I'm trusting God's word. That if I set aside 10% and honor him with that, then he's going to then, with the 90%, bring me from A to B and 90%. And then as my reward, God is going to bless me from B to C in unexplainable ways that I've never experienced. For those of you who have done this, you know it. What I'm talking about here, every single Christian I've known who've honored God with their tithe... And with their giving, have told me B2C stories. I could do a God bless you service right now. Some of you are saying, what's a God bless you service? You'll know it if I call on you, right? They'll tell me stories from B2C where you, you, you've, you've given God your first, the principle of giving God my first 10%. And when I do that, God, I live on the 90% and God blesses me in unexplainable ways. Why? A surrendered heart is a blessed heart. A surrendered heart is a blessed heart. And what's interesting, the, the low person, trust person, looks at the principle and finds it difficult to rationalize how a person can get from A to B on 90%. But the high trust person will have built into the fabric of their life this principle of the first, and they will say to the low trust person, I have proven over and over and over again, that when I have surrendered my entire heart to God, he blesses me in ways I can't even see it. And so often, we don't experience the supernatural power of God's activity in our life because we do not surrender our entire hearts to God. And I could keep you here the entire day telling you stories of my own personal stories, of B2C stories, of where God has showed up in ways when I, I have been faithful in giving my first to him. He has poured so much blessing into our lives, our homes, our health. He sent his son Jesus to, to a cross for my sins so I can be forgiven and gain eternal life one day. All he asks for us is to honor him with our first. And so I challenge you, for some of you, 
in the room, this is a brand new concept. If you've never started taught and began, I, I, t- I promise you, Malachi 3.10 says, test me in this and see if I won't bless you in so much you won't have room for it. I will promise you, you, before you know it, you will have B2C stories. Stories of how you gave and God showed up in areas only God can show up in. So let me ask you, have you followed, have you allowed God to grow this capacity in your life? And capacity is an interesting word, isn't it? Uh, We've been taught from a, a very young age that we should live within our own capacity. This is true for most part. I mean, I know I do not have the capacity to sing. I don't. I cannot sing in tune. Ask my team who sits next to me. It don't matter, but I ask them. And I'm a horrible at singing in tune. I cannot sing in tune. And when I do sing in tune, I get so proud of myself. It's like, can you hear that? I'm singing in tune. And then I sing out of tune because I have to concentrate, right? It's It's a very rare moment. And not once has Rochelle ever said to me, you should sing in the singing Christmas tree. Not once. Because... She sits next to me in the car when I'm singing at the top of my lungs. You know, and there, there, there is a, there's a certain capacity that we, we can grow, and there is a capacity that we cannot grow in our lives. And for me, it is singing. I can answer that if you like. <laughs> this is true for everyone in this room. We have given our lives to God, and God has changed us from the inside out. But one of the things we fight from all points is we don't want change. But yet the Bible is clear on teaching us that faith is about stepping out beyond our capacity. And the the Macedonian church knew this. The the context of what I'm about to tell you is that the church had been in a difficult time and impoverished due to political persecution. They were in low resources and Paul was collecting money to help others who were poor in Jerusalem and was going to skip over them because they were so poor. Because basically, they needed 100% of their resources to get from A to B. But look what Paul says about the, Corinth, about the church in 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, Paul's talking, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of their affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They didn't have the capacity to do this from the naked eye. They could not go. They needed 100% of the resources, but they did. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And then it goes on and says, they, they first gave to the Lord, and then they, by the will of God, also gave to us. Now, that, that's interesting to me because they gave what they couldn't give, and as they did, they gave more than what they could. In, their, in, in, the, in the moment when they didn't really have the capacity to do it, they had challenged that capacity to give by giving beyond what they could give. Now, how many of us have that one thing in our life that at some point we thought we would never be able to do it, and then all of a sudden we're doing it. We have the capacity to do it. So let me ask you, how will you know our faith How will we know our faith capacity if we never challenge our comfort? And I've heard this struggle more and more and more throughout my ministry. 
I, I would do this, Pastor, if I had this. I would, I would serve if I had this gift. I would give if I had more money. That's not how faith works. The Macedonian church reminds us that we start with what we have. How do we know they understood the principle of the first? They didn't. Next slide, please. They didn't. They didn't allow their circumstances to dictate their faith capacity. They gave out of little, trusting God to provide for them and make it up for them. As a, as a matter of fact, they gave liberally as if, as if they were rich. It was a large contribution they made, and it was outside even their, their power to make it. All by starting with what they had. There's, there's a study that's done. You may have heard this by Fidelity. Uh, they did a survey of, of a thousand millionaires. And so for you millionaires in the room today, and when they asked them, you know, do you feel rich? And they asked those who had three and a half million dollars. And 40% of them said, no, of course I don't feel rich. But if I had a seven and a half million dollars, I would feel rich. Now, guess who doesn't think seven and a half million dollars is rich? Those with seven and a half million dollars, right? See, the point is the Macedonian church didn't have much. But when they gave within their capacity, God increased their capacity. They would not allow their circumstances to affect their ability to exercise their faith. Hear that? They would not allow their circumstances to, to affect their ability to exercise their faith. It's time to cha challenge some of the untrue patterns that you created about yourself when it comes to surrendering to God. What might you miss in your life if you never challenge your faith? And this church couldn't, but they did. And when they did, they could. So faith does that, right? It flips it. It's the principle of the first, giving in the middle of circumstances. You know, teaching this principle to our kids is so important. The principle to give God first and live within a margin. To position your finances so that you control your money and it doesn't control you. Like buying a car or a house within your budget so that you give God first and have money to help others and to live comfortably. It's a simple principle that will alleviate so much financial stress from our lives if we live it. If you're here this, this morning and you're just beginning this journey on finances, if you, to know this principle, we call it the 10-10-80 principle. I teach this to my kids in various forms. Give God first, always first to God. Save 10%, live on 80%. The 90% is yours. Give 10%, save 10, live on the 80. Some of you guys are calculating your finances now, aren't you? Like, am I doing this? Am I godly? Am I following this? Some of us do it natural. It's building into our lives and our, into our financial lives margin. And one of the greatest stressors in marriages and relationships is finances because we start out on the wrong foot. Listen, I'm speaking from experience. I've had to learn this in my life and teach it to my kids. And the Macedonian church is teaching us a lesson here. The discipline of giving even when we think we cannot give. They gave because they built into the fabric of their lives the habit of faithfulness in any circumstances. I want you to say this with me. Let's say it together. Ready? Generosity begins. Okay, we, we need to stop here because you're not with me. When I say 10%, I don't mean 10% of the people. I mean everybody, okay? Let's say it together. Generosity begins by building generous habits. Say it again. Generosity begins by building generous habits. 
Learning the habit of giving will challenge your faith in ways that nothing else will do. Nothing else. Because God desires to be Lord of everything. To trust God in areas of our life. When you give, you're actually saying three things. It's a statement of gratitude. It's a statement of priority, and it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of gratitude by, by this. Lord, all that you've done for me in my past, I, I'm thankful. I, I have such a heart of gratitude that it's all yours. It's a, a, a priority in the present. It's saying, God, what I have now, God, is yours, and I give it to you. And it's a priority, of, a statement of faith for the future. Everything that I have in my future is yours, God. It's all yours. Gratitude, priority, and faith. And the church knew this principle. Even at a time when poverty was rampant, they still gave what was the Lord's and then went beyond that and gave to those who were in need. Watch how they did it. Secondly, they gave out of a joyful heart. Out of a joyful heart. How do you feel when you give? It's, look at this. This is for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, this is so important in the area of giving, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by this, his poverty might become rich. They were in the middle of poverty but gave joyfully because they were doing it from a sense of gratitude, priority, and faith. They knew that God gave out of abundance through Jesus, right, and their natural posture is to give. Some of the greatest, most generous people you will ever meet will understand that through the lens of the cross. Because when I look at what God has done for me through his son, Jesus Christ, by exemplifying one of the greatest examples of generosity, by sending Jesus in your place when you did not deserve it, wow. That is my grid, my lens of generosity. So Christ lives in me. So when I look at my resources and my life, I graciously understand what was given to me and I give. I give with the right attitude. I, I give with gratitude. I give with priority, statement of priority, and I give with faith. Just It's all yours, Lord. My past, my present, my future, because when I look at my life, and all that you've done through the lens of the cross, I just give. I give. That's why giving is a part of our discipleship path. When I understand the grace that was given to me through Jesus, I graciously give. It affects how I follow Christ. It affects serving. It affects giving. And it grows my faith. It grows my faith. How do you interpret where you are in your life at this very moment? Do you see everything through the lens of the cross and grace in your life. If you don't, it's a dangerous place to be. You, you will live in a place, if you don't understand what God has done for you, you will live in a place where you think you're self-autonomous. And if you feel you're self-autonomous, then everything I have is mine, right? When you don't understand grace. But when you live and walk in grace, everything that God has given to you is not yours. It is his. So I graciously and generously give. Their joy was not connected to their poverty, but the generous love of Jesus. And as the band returns, let me say this to you. If you ever feel the pressure to give, don't. You know, will, I, will I lose my job for saying that? 
Don't give because God doesn't need your money. He is after your heart. And if you don't give joyfully, you miss, you miss the point. The, the, the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be. This message is more than just an educational piece on giving your tithe, but that as he did with the, the Macedonian church, that they had this heart ability to give even in their own poverty and to give joyfully. And we do the same. God is saying to us, you can't see it because you have conditioned your heart to only step into what you can see. And I wonder what lists you have given God of what you can't do and won't do. You see, what areas have you labeled contentment, contentment that is really complacency? What areas of your life where you think you're content, but it's really complacency? What limitations is God wanting to remove from your life? See, Paul wasn't even going to involve the Macedonian church, but they took initiative and wanted in on the blessing, on blessing others. God is speaking to your limitations. God doesn't want you to be a spectator. God wants you to be active in every areas of your faith, including generosity. So I want to pray for you. What are you telling yourself about your situation? Some of you measured your faith by our current condition and you have, you, have, uh, you, you have assumed where you are is where you will always be. And here's what God does every time. God cannot increase your faith and leave you where you are. It's an oxymoron. And when he challenges us, it is to move us from where we are. And the challenge today is the, in the area of increasing our faith, in the area of generosity, to give faithfully in every circumstance and to give joyfully because of the grace that has been shown to us. So what does the principle of the first look like? Simply, it's obedience. It really is. It's about giving 10% to the Lord through, through Bethesda, through the, the mission and vision of Bethesda. And giving to others generously, not just the church, but it's also about lordship. Giving God lordship over every area of our lives, every area. God is not after your money. He's after your heart. Lordship over your life. It's about blessing. A surrendered heart is a blessed heart. It really is. And lastly, it's about investment. Be a part of what God is doing in the life of of this church. It's an amazing feeling when you know that you're giving touches people's lives. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.